Today's show is sponsored by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon makes the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you will ever wear. I'm wearing the socks right now. You can tell how comfortable I am in these socks. I sound comfortable. Not only do Mac Weldon socks make you feel comfortable, they make you smell great because they're made of naturally antimicrobial something that actually eliminates odor. Trust me, they work. I pay for them with my own money. They're easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com and you get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. If for some reason you don't like these socks, you hang on to them. Mac Weldon will send you your money back. Remember, you get 20% off with the promo code RECODE at MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. Thank you, Mac Weldon. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. We're coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We're recording this. We, I am recording this at the Vox Media Podcast Studios. It's very exciting. It's a new studio for us. A couple housekeeping notes for you guys. We love that you love the show. We love making the show for you. Our ask if you like hearing this show is one thing. Tell someone else about the show. You can rate and review it over at Apple or Google, wherever you listen to this stuff. If you don't want to do that, you could tweet about it. You could Facebook about it. A third option is to tell my sister, who will then tell me. This is the least effective way, but but any feedback is uh, helpful for us, and any sharing you do is good for us. One other thing, I'm talking to you now from Vox Media, but we recorded this next episode over uh, in Austin, South by Southwest, back in March. I'm talking to Amir Barlev. He's the director of a new documentary about the Grateful Dead called Long Strange Trip. It is a long movie. It's four hours, but it's a good four hours. You should go watch it. It's in theaters now, if you're listening to this, May 26th. It'll be on Amazon Prime Video, so you can watch it at home in whatever chunk of time you want to watch it in, starting June 2nd. So check it out. See it on screen, and then you can listen to us talk about it now. We recorded this session in Kara Swisher's hotel room, if you want the full details. And if you want more details than that, you should come find me or my sister. We'll fill you in. Enjoy. I'm here with Amir Barlev, director of Long Strange Trip. Did I get the title right? Yes, you did. I always try. Although it was, it was not going to be Long Strange Trip for quite some time. It was going to be. I have a, I'm not good at naming my films. You just call it Untitled Grateful Dead documentary? It was called Untitled for a long while, but that was never contemplated as the final title. Then I had a lot of, uh, you know, too smart for my own good titles that were oblique, and the people who bought it correctly pointed out that those titles wouldn't be interesting on buses and things like that. <laughs> so let's let's pull back and, and fill people in. Uh, this is a documentary about the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um, hence Long Strange Trip. The people who bought it are Amazon. Correct. And they'll be streaming it this spring. After a short theatrical. Oh, so you'll be yeah. able to see it in theaters. So, yeah. So you'll, you you'll got to move quick. You'll either be hearing this when you can see it in theaters or when you can stream it on Amazon or both. That's right. I watched it. It's great. Thanks. Did you watch it in a theater? Mm-mm. I want you to see it again. We did a lot of work on the 7-1 mix. Really? I mean, it's okay. It's a long film. You don't have to see it again. But your listeners should know that we edited, I mean, we sound mixed this freaking movie for more than maybe any rock documentary has ever gotten. And the Grateful Dead gave us their stems, which means they gave us the studio the music broken into its studio isolated track. So, you know, you can take the tambourine from, you know, Cumberland blues and the, you know, and we created a score and then we sent it around the seven one mix. So when so I was streaming it on my MacBook, I was not getting the full experience. You didn't inhale, but, but here's the thing. The reason I streamed it on yeah. my MacBook instead yeah. of watching the, the screen you had last night is it's four hours long. I, I know people are coming. They're seeing it in four hours. It's t- it has an intermission. It, 
you know, it doesn't, I hope, uh, and I'm hearing that it doesn't feel long uh, in the theaters. You know, yeah, it, I, I hope it plays both ways. But, you know, it, it's a 50-year story. And we tried at the beginning to make a film that, you know, ruthlessly kind of cut you around to different places. Uh-huh. My, te- my films tend to be pretty short. This film, you wanted to feel at the end like you had been with them for 50 years. Uh, and I think, I think it works. So here's know? the best compliment yeah. I can give it. Yeah. I am not a Grateful Dead guy. I like the movie. Well, that's that's, a, that's high praise, and I, I appreciate you saying that. And it's you who we were making it for. Oh, I wanted to ask about that because it yeah. seems like you could go either way. It's, I'm, I'm I'm guessing you. Do I can I call you a deadhead? Uh, you can call fan? me a deadhead. Yeah, you can call me a deadhead. Is but I so and but you know I populated the and and the the producers of the film are mostly deadheads. But then I I populated the creative team with non deadheads so that we make sure we made a film for you know me and for you yeah no i and, really appreciate yeah, it and, but and nobody nobody's uh indifferent to the grateful dead you know and i think we're probably around the same age yep. and when i was in te- you know high school and there there were the people who loved the grateful dead and then the people who were super annoyed by the people yeah who i was in that camp but right. I'm, I'm out of that camp now i just don't yeah. i don't have the affinity for them but yeah. I, I sort of get intellectually why they're interesting and, and that was the cool thing about your movies yeah. explained to me musically why they're interesting historically why they're interesting pop culture why they're interesting and then one of the things i didn't really appreciate until i saw your movie was so i'm 45 you're 45 ish 44 when i became aware of them in high school and my cool friends thought they were lame i didn't realize that was really the first time they were mainstream was oh yeah they didn't have a hit until until the late 80s right yeah and you know my wife is um my wife was a punk when you know when we were teenagers and I was a hippie and there was always that divide and I didn't get punk when I was growing up I I I thought it was you know about anger and Where'd you grow up? Berkeley. In Berkeley. Yeah. And uh Good punk scene there. I know, I missed it. And then I lived in DC for a while which also, also has a great punk scene. scene, you know, but I I didn't I didn't get it. I was like turned off by it. And in later years through my wife mostly I I came to understand that I missed something great. And I wanted the film to be a punk rock film, not a hippie film. So this is, a, it's a pretty straight. And telling, it is, right? I think it's a punk rock story. I mean, these are sort of yeah. stupid categories, but insofar as they're useful, the grateful dead was loved to death. So explain the history of the film. Why yeah. did you want to make it? When did you decide you wanted to make it? You've, you've made that you, I, I wanted to make the film. Yeah. Right. So I, I made my first film. It came out in 2001 and then I, I really decided that I wanted my next film to be this film. And uh, and I actually had some initial interactions with, with the uh, with the organ. I cold emailed them. I didn't really have any special connections. You call up the Grateful Dead org. I emailed them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and in two and it was two thousand three. And then I, I actually happened to meet like pretty much the nicest, sanest guy in the organization. And because he's so sane i'm going to try and be delicate about this but you know the the grateful dead organization is is um is infamously inertial you know and and that's by design you know i think i think um they didn't want it to be a top-down hierarchy they invited all kinds of different people with different agendas in and um and so not a lot gets done not a lot gets done not a lot gets decided i happen to reach this guy alan trist who who uh who wrote me back, you know, that says something right there, you know, and then watched my, my little film about two old Czech Jews drinking and talking about World War II. And that's called? Fighter. Uh-huh. That's your and first one. Yeah. So I sent him that and he said, well, you know, uh, you, you should move forward. And I thought to myself, 
I can't believe it's that easy. And it wasn't that easy. So, so 2003 yeah, you start? That was 2003 is when I started trying to make it. And then another 11 years went by before we really started making it. So you made this movie with their cooperation. When, yeah. when do they sign on? And that was, you, that was you like four to do? years ago. What did you need to do to get them over the line? I mean, they're, they're in know, the movie, like you said, they gave you the music. It's that inertial thing. I mean, I, attaching Marty Scorsese was a useful thing in that regard. And then I also, you know, I got a, a team of, of really great producers involved um, who, uh, who you know, sort of convinced them. You know, it's never that, like, they bought into my vision or anything like that. They don't, they, I, they, I don't think they really care about uh, uh, there being a documentary, just like they don't care about you know, their public persona or their, you know, um, publicity so much. Was there anything know? they were worried to their about credit, I talking about? They're, this is pretty warts and all, right? There's a lot of yeah. frank about yeah. Garcia, Jerry Garcia's yeah. drug use. No, they didn't. They gave me, they gave us creative control. Go ahead, do what yeah. you want. They yep. didn't ask for Final Cut. No. Nope. And have you asked them about it since? I saw the film with them at Sundance, uh, which was a few months ago. And, um, you know, they, they sort of gave me grudging praise or whatever you know but uh it's okay the the film is the story is like not about them it's about the grateful dead and the grateful dead was them and us and and right. you know it really was it, that's how it was that's how it was that's i think conceived. the part i liked the most yeah. was it's divided up into chapters and there's yeah. a chapter on the deadheads yeah and that's that, your favorite part yeah i mean because it's it's also the part that i can identify with the most right i except I like the music. I don't yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, but sort of getting a sense of who those people are. Yeah. Al Franken's one of them. Yeah. And reminding people of that relationship they had yeah. with their fans is was particularly unique, still really is. There's a few people who sort of follow that model, but that's pretty particular. The story, our story starts when Jerry's six and he sees um, Frankenstein and yeah. it terrifies him. And he says... Um, it was the most one of the seminal moments in my life, and when he said that, we kind of leaned in to try and figure out how's that possible and how's that important to us as storytellers. And he says, "Frankenstein, that monster scared the wits out of me, and I, I made a decision that, to befriend that fear. I, I didn't. I, I wanted. I wanted to embrace that fear and to and to let it be a part of me. And so, you know, this is all. Con, you know, my own." Uh, conjecture but i feel like he had an idea that what was not him was to be brought closer not pushed away it was a radical pluralistic idea and it carried forth into the way the grateful dead band was put together and he he could have put together you know they, they were all sort of in a way the wrong person for the position the bass player never played bass um that's the rhythm punk. guitar. That's punk. Oh yeah, the rhythm guitar. Yeah, totally. The rhythm guitarist, you know, doesn't play rhythm guitar like anybody else, and so on and so forth. And then there were fans that came along that said, "Hey, can we be in the band?" And he said, "Yes." So it's sort of like the Grateful Dead always did the wrong thing on a certain level, and it was exactly the right thing because right. every because. Uh, and then later on, they let people pirate their music. Yeah, they let people quote unquote steal their music, right. which drew even more fans. You know, so at every turn. They did the inclusive thing, and uh, that's you, you know. So yeah. what? Why? Why make this movie? And if the audience is people like me who yeah. are deadheads, what's important about the band? What makes them worth a four-hour documentary? I mean, there's lots. There's lots. But I mean, you know, I have kids, and I worry about them. <laughs> you know, I, I when I go to a concert and I see that everybody has their phone up and and, and is like you know thinking about not just the future. Like, let's say these were nice cameras and everybody yeah. was, you know, documenting them, which is kind of what I do for a living. So I shouldn't 
necessarily to be too, judgmental. Too. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, but no, these are, th- this is about a certain sense that, like, I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm here, but I'm also uh, the center of attention in this certain medium, um, you know, Instagram or Facebook, whatever. I'm a little mini celebrity. And, uh, you know, so that's a way of not being present in a moment. And that's obviously gone completely nuts in our culture and so i think the grateful dead i mean you know when i think about why why i did this film it's for my kids in a way you know i mean i don't want to sound grandiose you know but like my daughter seven years old she saw the deadhead section the other day and she said to me why were all those people dancing around naked and i said well you you love to dance around naked and she goes yeah but you you know is it okay for grown-ups to do that? And I said, yeah. She goes, then why don't you go into to work tomorrow naked? And I opened up this pretty great conversation <laughs> about, you know, punk and counterculture and culture and all things that I want my kids to think about, you know, um, much more than I want them to be have their nose buried in their uh, fucking iPhones all Although the time. They may watch this thing on an iPhone. They go both ways or, or a MacBook. I hope they don't, you know, but I have to understand that like, you know, there's, there's things are complicated and, but I mean, you look, I mean, so, you know, uh, uh, the guys who bought it at Amazon are deadheads, you know, I mean, obviously there was a bunch of people who made the decision, but so the guys on point are, are, are deadheads. And I feel, you know, that, um, you know, I feel really pleased about Amazon's reach and the notion that this film, which I think, I hope is somewhat, is, is, is somewhat subversive is going to be spread all over the world it makes me happy i want to ask you about subversion (laughs) there's there's a part in there where uh again in the deadhead section it says you know this stuff sort of takes off in the 80s reagan is president reagan runs on an anti-60s platform the country votes him in and basically the the argument is the deadheads are a group of of people people saying no 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 we we're going to resist reagan basically and i thought flash to trump and thought yeah do you think either there's going to be some version of that happening now or do you think that makes the dead newly relevant now you've got is, is there some analog there uh yes i i see that um that people are getting more engaged and um and i mean i think that i hope that there's going to be um a, you know, a kind of a, a backlash against uh, the conformist sort of uh, jingoistic sexist that may uh, show up in, in culture. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, I mean, you know, I don't pretend to understand how culture works and why yeah. things, but if you think about the beatniks, you know, if you think about how many people were beatniks, it's very few people. It doesn't take, you know, I, I think we st- we tend to think in these sort of mass media terms because right, especially, that everyone was a hippie in the '60s, but they weren't. Yeah, and it doesn't. You don't need a lot of people. You need a, a couple good ones, I think. You know, I mean, I I I that um, when my daughter saw um, clip I just mentioned, she was seeing it at the Rubin Museum in New York, which is a Buddhist museum, and I was sitting there thinking, you know, and so it was gorgeous Buddhist art and stuff like that. And I have to say, I don't think that museum would be there if it weren't for Allen Ginsberg, you know, and Alan Watts and a handful of people who, and Kerouac and people like that who were interested in, uh, in Buddhism and, and were responsible in some ways for bringing it here. You know, there were others, right. But I mean, they popularized it on a certain level and then people like, uh, the hippies picked up on it and down to me, you know, I studied religious studies because of, Allen Ginsberg in a way, you know what I mean? There's there's your through line. So there's a through line and, and, and there's a continuum, you know, and, um, I don't pretend to, you know, I don't think the film is like 
I think the film, I hope, my wildest dreams is that the film is a tiny, tiny part of that continuum just in pointing people to the Grateful Dead, just as the Grateful Dead were interested in pointing people to the beats and so on and so forth, you know? This is great. I have more questions, but first we're going to hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Willis Towers Watson. Cybersecurity is one of the greatest threats any business faces. Last year, more than 400 million new malware threats were released and more than half a billion personal records are breached. Businesses spend $100 billion a year on cyber technology, but cybersecurity is as much about employee behaviors as it is the tech. The average network breach can cost $4 million in company losses. That's why you need to know about Willis Towers Watson. They understand the only comprehensive approach to cybersecurity is to deal with all of it, your people, your capital, and your technology risks. Willis Towers Watson decodes all that complexity. It is complex. Through a comprehensive three-stage approach, they assess the cyber risks throughout your business, They protect your company with best-in-class solutions, and they improve your ability to recover from future attacks. You can learn more about what Willis Towers Watson can do for you at willistowerswatson.com slash recode. That's willistowerswatson.com slash recode. Today's show is also brought to you by HostGator. Are you ready to take your website to the next level? Whether you're a first-time blogger or an experienced web pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website or even an online store. If you need a boost in hosting power, they can do that too. HostGator offers cloud, VPS, and dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. See what HostGator can do for your website. Recode listeners get 60% off. That's 6-0. It's a lot. Go to HostGator.com slash Recode. That's HostGator, like an alligator, G-A-T-O-R, dot com slash Recode. I'm back here with Amir Barlev, director of Long Strange Trip, which you can maybe see in a theater. You can definitely see via Amazon. Is this the first movie you sold to Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. So how does that process work? What's different about making a documentary in 2017 than you've been doing this for basically 15, 20 years? Well, making a documentary is, is always... Change, you know what making a documentary is changes constantly and i've been super lucky you know as in my career this is my seventh film nearly every film i've been involved with i've had like really supportive uh creative executives involved in who have allowed me to make the films that i want and you know my films yeah i'm i'm you know listen i'm not like some industry specialist so i don't know if that i'm the right person to speak to this but you know to the degree that we're allowed to make films that um that are closer to that aspire to be art more than they aspire to be mass consumption. It's great. You know, if, if that means that, you know, maybe it's, it's not playing in every multiplex up against whatever stupid thing Hollywood's doing. Um, but, but rather has to be seen on more laptops. It's a good trade off for me. I mean, it seems like first Netflix and, and now Amazon, Amazon have decided, Oh, documentaries are something that there's a big audience for. We can buy them. They're cheaper than buying a, Brad Pitt movie, they're, right. they're doing those as well now. And it seems like if you're a full-time documentarian, that's a good thing. There's a new market for this stuff. Yeah. So when you start this thing four years ago, were you right. thinking, we're no. going to end up selling this to a streaming service? No, gosh, no. I, I, I don't look at things that way. I just um, you know try and find the support so that I can be improvisational in the way that the, the, the film goes. And actually, you know, we our initial thought was that we were making a 90-minute film. And along the way, uh, you know, there were longer films that came out. Uh, there was OJ is the, the biggest That's the seven example. seven-hour one. Yeah. So as, you know, when we heard that that was doing all right, it's, that that it's, was yeah, at Sundance. It's an ESPN series. Yeah. We followed behind that. You know, when people started considering that a film, as I do, um, you know, it was 
great for me because I was able to make a case, you know, that like, hey, you know, people have a tolerance for longer films. Right. So that was the that was the yeah. ESPN. ESPN ran yeah. it as a TV series. I ran yeah. it in seven chunks or whatever yeah. it was. Um, but it just won an Oscar, right? Right. Considering it a seven hour yeah. film. And that gave you the freedom or, or the impetus to say. It gave we, me we some wiggle room for sure, you know. And I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think this this thing wants to be consumed either way. You know, I think um I think that uh, seeing it in an audience has its own, you know, benefits. As I mentioned, the the the, the sound really wants that, um, but seeing it at home is is also great because yeah, it's long. I'm not laboring under <laughs> you know when I do a Q and A. Um, for this film, you know, people are tired, and I, I understand that. I try and make it quick. <laughs> there's a Q and A following you know, the four hour movie. There's yeah. there was always a Q and A, um, but you know, I have to say, so it's only shown maybe less than ten times so far. Up at Sundance, um, somebody proposed to somebody else uh, before one of the screenings. They drove in eight hours from like Denver to Park City, committed, and, and, and then got up on the mic and, and proposed. Um, and then when we saw it in, in Salt Lake City, there was like. Every time there's like, a, it's set, not every time, several times you'd hear somebody accidentally kick in their smuggled bottle of booze. I felt like there were people on. Probably smelled some things in the air. You, you, I don't, well, you see now with like vapes or whatever, it's changed, it is, edibles, yes. people can very, it sounded, it seemed like people were treating it like a concert a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a concert film. I mean, it has an arc, you know, but I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, no, that was one of my have, trepidations yeah, going in. It was like, yeah. I don't love the dead. No, enough yeah, to yeah. like watch a concert movie. I want your listeners to know that you, you know, you don't have to love the dead to love this movie. In fact, you don't even have to like the dead. I think it's a great story. And you know, it's, it's, I consider it a film among my films. That's about some of the themes I'm interested in. And if you think that like the, you know, I think it's a, sorry, I'm not going to say if you like my film, then you'll like it. Uh, but uh, it's, it, you know, it's, um, there's some, there's, 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 it's a great story. Were you looking at other bidders besides Amazon? Were you thinking maybe I won't stream this? Maybe I'll go some other way? Sure. We, we, we were open to all that stuff. But the Amazon guys, as I said, they're like really, uh, they get the film and they're promoting it in a way that I'm really happy with. And, um, and yeah, they made us a great offer, and and, yeah. and and you'll still have it in theaters, so you get you're up for awards, and, and so you get you get it sort of both ways. Do they have any other input, or it's just a finished product, and they're going to distribute it? I'll just tell you frankly, they um, they were not meant to have any. They, you know, contractually, we retained Final Cut, but they had freaking good notes, yeah, which were offered. You know, take it or leave it, and the film benefited from them. What's, what's an example of a good Amazon I, mean, I should just say the, the guy's names even Joe, Joe Lewis and, and Dan Seligman particularly this guy Dan Seligman who I didn't know from Adam you know but he's a kid my age a uh, kid a guy my age a middle, middle aged, aged guy gentleman. like me right and you know he, he, he just came in and saw you know we'd been editing it for a really long time and I have an amazing edit team but any anybody's uh, going to lose sight after a while right. of the you know sitting out for four years trees. yeah so um it was great to get this fresh pair of eyes and he came in and and um gave me uh some i think film saving notes you know i do that though i i am always trying to show it to people i trust to gut check myself was there anyone you wanted to interview for this that, that you couldn't land i've been asked that a couple times only here for some weird reason. I don't know why, but it's been like the theme. The and I keep question. answering. I keep answering uh, Mountain Girl, who was Jerry's second uh, wife. Um, but I, I'm sort of t- like, 
you know, I want to be sort of psychedelic about my answer. I don't feel it was meant to be, you know, I like, she didn't want to be in the film. I, I, I heckled her for a long time. You to know, get the, the it, main but, reason I thought yeah, about it, there's the, yeah. uh, the lyricist, uh, Hunter, Hunter, yeah. right. So there's right. a segment where, say, where yeah. everyone's explaining how you can't get this guy to talk to yeah. you. He's, he's, he's obtuse. He doesn't want to talk right. about what he does. Right. And then you, you go in the car to see him yeah. and, and you're sort of waiting for this big right. confrontation. Yeah. And it looks like you got him on camera for like 15 seconds right. basically telling you to fuck off but which, you got him yeah I mean and if you think about it like from a Taoist perspective you know which I think the film tries to have it's exactly right you know and, and he was really the white whale of the film he was the guy who kept saying no and I couldn't imagine a, a, a film without him and I begged him and then I begged people around him to beg him on my behalf and finally I resorted to basically ambushing him through, with the help of of uh of Bob Weir who you know while we were interviewing him kind of made the mistake of of asking me if you know if I if I had, had yeah, any, he puts down his pipe and is like I yeah, it's not his pipe it's it's a it's a mate I don't know what a mate you're, is you're not a you're not a West Coaster no no you no, see no. in Berkeley we sip this uh, I mean we uh, it's, it's it's kind of like some I don't freaking know what it is but it's it's like some kind of a tea <laughs> all right yeah it's like a Peruvian tea or something that he, was he puts down it's his not Peruvian tea yeah, and yeah. says oh, we could text him or something yeah and so he you did, get in the yeah. car yeah and then at one point he says he knows we're coming right and yeah. then you say no and he goes, no oh. uh, yeah right, yeah <laughs> we tried to do that so you know I knew the film was going to be you know roughly. 75% archival, but I wanted whenever possible for it to come up f- from that journey through the past and feel like a present day film. So, you know, we would do these little scenes with people in order. So like if there was a great piece of archival, uh, we wanted to be with the subject with, with one of our, uh, characters when he got the great piece of archival out of the closet or whatever, because, you know, I think, I want people. It helps me make the case for the relevance, so that you don't feel right, you've like got this Nick is Palm a Garden from the New Yorker yeah. going through his tape collection. Yeah, uh, yeah and we we took that road trip with Bob Weir, and um, you know, and then as you say, we we surprised Robert Hunter, and yeah, that's that's a very cool bit. Yeah, we're going to take another quick break here, so we can hear from our sponsors. Here's my friend Lauren Good from The Verge. Hi, this is Lauren Good of The Verge. We're all fans of something. Me, I'm a fan of yoga and I'm just starting to get into meditation apps like Headspace, which I know are all the rage right now. I'm not quite sure I'm good at either of those things, but hey, I enjoy them and I enjoy reading about them. And the way that we consume culture is changing. So the way fandom works is changing for people too. I want to tell you about an awesome new podcast called Fan Club, which is about that change and why we love what we love. Fan Club is a short series hosted by Ross Martin, who has perhaps thought more about fandom than anyone else on earth. On Fan Club, Ross is trying to figure out the future of how we're going to watch, listen, and consume culture. He talks to amazing, brilliant people across the pop culture landscape, musicians, artists, fashion designers, chefs, even scientists, about how their work is being experienced today and how they think it will be experienced in the years to come. Fan Club will change the way you think about the things that you love. This week, Ross talks to the one and only Charlemagne the God about how his relentless honesty created a bond with his fans around the world. Listen now by subscribing to Fan Club on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Lauren and Beck, with Amir Barlev, the director of Long Strange Trip. There was a, it seemed like maybe 10 years ago, I guess it was around the time of Napster, so maybe longer right. than that, there was a sort of vogue where everyone was explaining why the Grateful Dead was this tech progressive, right. intellectually business progressive right. organization, and they were super smart because they were giving away their music and right. doing it all on tour. Um, and you touch on that. It, is your I sense think that's that, bullshit. I mean, you think, yeah, I think, I, I think you know, that. okay, so here's, here's what I think. Sam Cutler 
says it perfectly in the film. Sam Cutler was their tour manager from 70 to 74. He's the cranky Englishman. He's a cranky Englishman, and he, after 74, he went off to, he's a gypsy, like he lives in a, uh, when we interviewed him, he was living in a van here, Um, but he normally lives in an RV um, in Australia. And um, he he says something that I love, and it relates to punk and culture in general. He says, that's how the mainstream works. It loves, it kind of loves you to death. They neuter a thing that threatens them by loving it, by loving right. it to death, you know, by celebrating it. Right. He's talking about it in the context of like them getting, becoming yeah. big enough to fill stadiums and, right. and having bros show Well, up no, I think up. what he's talking about is, is not just their popularity, but their image in the popular imagination. That they're a cuddly ice cream they're flavor. They're a cuddly ice cream flavor. And Jerry's like a happy hippie who means nobody any harm. He's Santa Claus. That's, that's you know, um, that's the way the culture neuters things that are a threat to it. And I, I think that the whole notion... By the, the way, we're South by Southwest where the whole point is to sell stuff. Totally. And the notion that the Grateful Dead um, were like brilliant businessmen is is like so far off the mark. You know what I mean? What they were is something genuinely threatening to our culture, which is they were pretty fucking selfless. They gave that stuff away for the reason that they were really putting art ahead of commerce. They weren't trying to like, you know, be viral or anything right. like that. And it's much safer for, you know, your average columnist at CNBC or whatever to say like everything I learned about how to fucking make a lot of money. I learned from Jerry Garcia than to actually ask. I mean, I don't, I'm not speaking of any, hopefully I'm not, you know, insulting any one particular columnist cause I don't have one in mind, but the notion that, you know, that, you know, that, uh, they're, they were great businessmen and we yeah, should just learn like how to sort be of great stumbled into it. All of us who, you know, joined the the parade of the grateful dead you know sorry you know I don't, yeah, that's right anyway, i'm right. on my high I mean, horse i'll then, shut up before and, i really was, insult somebody then, then there was yeah. a bunch of they're now called jam bands right yeah. who, who consciously adopted yeah pretty much all of that right, right. similar music style right. similar ethos right. similar business model well maybe you know i mean maybe ish right yeah you know and I, but i i also think it's sort of reductive to, to call that a whole kind of part of music i think what they share in common is a notion that every night is going to be a new sonic exploration and that you know even when it's a down night that's okay because our fans are allowing us to be improvisational in the same way that jazz fans allow jazz musicians to to riff and to find it and to lose it and to come back and all we're going to get a new thing today and it may work it may not work but there's that's kind of where the similarity ends between the grateful dead and the people who are supposed to be carrying on their tradition most of the time you know all right i didn't realize i, t- I yeah. touched a live wire there you did touch a live wire i mean i think the grateful dead is is about something that is about spontaneity and um and dynamism and so like where is that spark now you know you have to everybody has to answer that for themselves there's a guy um who i've never met who has a, a blog called Thoughts on the De- on the Grateful Dead, who makes fun of me here and there. That's how I found out about him, was I got a Google <laughs> alert. He is, like, hysterical. And what is so enjoyable about him is that he just punctures all pieties. You know, he's always, like, making fun of the Grateful Dead and deadheads, and himself. And he's, like, I think he's obviously a huge deadhead. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's really important. And that may be like one great place where the spark still is, you know. Online is, blogging. No, people. this particular this guy, online blogger, guy, you know. Dude. But the, I'm, I'm bringing him up because, you know, I think, you know, the Grateful Dead came out of the acid tests and the Merry Pranksters 
motto was never trust a prankster. And, you know, it's 50 years later now, and there's really like a, a, a tribe with a flag and all that stuff. And I'm not totally sure that's a good thing. You know, that's why when right. you mentioned jam bands, I, I, I get a little bit... Uh, you, don't, you, don't want, you don't want a bucket of content with a label on it. No, I don't think that I, you know, I studied Zen and, and, you know, and the whole beautiful thing about Zen was like, if you meet Buddha in the road, kill him. So, you know, that's why Zen is so powerful is that it's like constantly blowing itself up with a heresy and starting new. And that's what I think the Grateful Dead were inviting. That's why Jerry didn't want to be elected the Pope of hippies. So are you blowing yourself up for your next project? Do you do something radically different for the next movie? I'm trying to figure out, thanks for asking. I don't know what that is, but I would like to. I mean, that's a that's another thing I've learned from The Grateful Dead is, you know, try and, you know, do that. You've done documentaries all your life. Do you imagine at some point you do something scripted? Yeah, I'm sick of documentaries, actually, at this moment. I can't figure out what documentary would be interesting to do next. And right. I probably won't. All right, well, I like uh, I don't know for an answer. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I really Deal. don't know. Yeah. All right, we'll keep track of cool. you. Thanks. Um, you guys should go check this out. That was great talking to you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Amir, and thanks to you guys for listening. We love making this stuff. We love that you like it. There's plenty more where this came from. There's some cool interviews I did recently with Scott Frank, who did the last uh, Wolverine movie, Logan. Uh, Neil Gaiman was a trip. Nick Bilton, who is Nick Bilton, and also wrote a book called American Kingpin. Those are all available for free over where you found a fine podcast like this one. Again, it's great if you rate and review it, so please do it if you can. Oh, wait, more free content is coming your way. We're holding the Code Conference out in California at the end of May, early June, which means very soon you're going to be able to hear an amazing lineup of speakers, including Reed Hastings, Jeff Bucus, Hillary Clinton, you've heard of her. They're all free over on Recode Replay. It's a separate podcast, easy to find. Thanks to our sponsors. We love our sponsors. Mac Weldon, Willis Towers Watson, HostGator, and Viacom. Thanks to Digital Media, the guys who sell all those ads for us. Thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell and Eric Johnson, and our editor, Chris Basil. This is Recode Media. I'm back next week with another great guest. I'll see you then.